people were super excited to invest when the S&P was at the top, when in reality, that's when the highest risk is. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm with Griffin Milks, who is based in Ottawa, well, actually Gatineau, which is kind of funny because we've never crossed paths, even though we don't live very far away. Um, Griffin is a YouTuber and a real estate investor. Welcome to the show, Griffin. Hey, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here and talking about real estate. I love doing it, so. Awesome. So my first question is, I want you to just tell me a little bit about your journey through life that has led you to be talking to me today with the hat that you're wearing. Yeah, sure. So I guess we could start years back. I've always kind of been into entrepreneurialism, even though I never knew what that was really growing up. I was kind of always that kid who had like a business, I'd cut grass, I'd make like earrings, go door to door and sell them, even though they were ugly, people would buy them. Uh, and then over time, like I went to uh, business school, University of Ottawa in my hometown, still not necessarily knowing though, like what I wanted to do with that. It was just kind of the narrative that I, I was going to follow. That's what my family wanted me to do. And yeah, so I went to university, graduated. And then in Ottawa, if you're familiar with the national capital region, like a third of the population here works for the government of Canada. So I kind of just transitioned into that. Uh, there were some fantastic programs out of university. So I went and worked for a great team, but ultimately it just wasn't my calling. Like it wasn't something that I was passionate about ever. So over that two to three year period that I was working for the government, had a bunch of side hustles, started uh, doing real estate investing from maybe the age of around 22. Just because that was something that I discovered through just reading books, literally, because I didn't have any resources. I didn't have anyone to reach out to. I'd watch YouTube videos, read books. And the idea of being able to acquire assets, have people pay them down for me, and then also be able to, to work on them to increase their value was just something that like hooked me from the get-go. And so that was something that necessarily at the beginning wasn't something that I could jump into full-time. Obviously, that wasn't supplementing my income enough, though, from... You know, like a 60k a year salary but youtube was always something i was doing on the side as well and especially during covid everyone's working from home everyone starts getting interested in investing stock investing real estate investing and so forth so i just happened to already be making content about that because it generally interested me and then it really just took off like i think i had fifteen thousand followers or so on youtube before the pandemic and once the pandemic hit in a matter of like a couple of months i got probably grew by like 60,000 in a year, which is pretty good, especially in the Canadian space. Uh, and that really allowed me to transition over to go full time as an entrepreneur, which is always something I wanted to do. So now I still make YouTube content and a lot more heavy focus though recently on value add real estate investing. And I'm sure we'll be talking about today. So mm -hmm. pretty long answer, but yeah, that's <laughs> how we got to today's conversation. Cool. And so take me back to the inflection point because, you know, you, you kind of gave me your preamble, but then it's like, oh yeah. So like I got into real estate investing. Yeah. What does that actually look like? Because like, I know when I did my first deal, like I didn't sleep. Like I was my first interaction with real estate agents. Yeah. They seemed really slimy. I didn't know how to negotiate. Like how did you, what was that like for you in a more fine grained sense? 
Yeah. So first and foremost, how did I get interested in real estate investing? I said earlier books it sounds super cliche, but I read like Rich Dad Poor Dad, yeah. and then this other book, who's from a can, uh, Canadian author called uh, Caleb Ross, who is a I'm pretty sure he's a mortgage broker in, in Toronto. The book is called The Real Estate Retirement Plan, and for any Canadians watching it, I think it's absolutely fantastic. You don't even need to uh, to to build towards retirement. It just tells you everything about real estate investing fundamentals. So that really got me hooked. And then the idea of, well, when was I going to buy my first property? Obviously, starting off, didn't really have a big budget. And so I decided that I was going to put like as little down as possible, did some research, found out that you can house hack, put less than 5% down. And at the time, again, this was before the pandemic when asset prices were lower. I just got in contact with a real estate agent. We started looking at some stuff and he was, he called me, he's like, literally, let's go check out this property. It was a duplex, $180,000, which sounds insane in most markets, but that was just, that's just my market. And granted it was the cheapest one in the region all year, but on my lunch break during the government, I went, looked at it. It was really scary because in 180,000, regardless of the market or whatnot, it's going to need a lot of work. But I, you kind of just need to take that leap of faith, you know, and just say, this is something that I want to learn. You can't overanalyze. So I was like, you know what, I'll put in an offer, 5% down and ended up winning the offer. So yeah, I would say you just need to be willing to learn as you go. You, you can't learn any, everything beforehand from books and just take that, that leap really and just buy something, literally. But you need to just buy something yeah. and learn as you go. Like obviously you need to have a strategy beforehand of knowing, okay, maybe I want a turnkey, maybe I want something that I can do some value add, maybe I want to I would I personally wouldn't recommend like short-term rentals at the beginning, but a long-term rental, if the numbers check out and you're buying in an area that has population and job growth, if you're keeping it for at least five years, I don't see how you can really go wrong. That's it. A lot of people overanalyze. I have a lot of friends who ask me questions all the time. And it's one of those things I truly just believe. Real estate, we call it investing. I look at it a lot more as a business. And in business, you can't know everything ahead of time. You need to just make sure that you're setting yourself up for success, knowing what needs to be known before, but then taking that leap of faith, working with a competent real estate agent that can help you along the way. And also other people like mortgage brokers who can help you get the best financing and really allow you to understand uh, everything has to do with uh, the terms of loan you're getting and the repercussions for different types of loans. But if you have a good team in place, then uh, yeah, I think it's worth the risk. So is that you? So you, you kind of mentioned set yourself up for success, right? Like, and take a leap. So, okay. I think, I mean, I do agree with you, but I think if we want to, you know, pull that apart a little bit, like what, how, what does it mean set yourself up for success besides building a team, obviously? Building a team is definitely one of the most important things. And then also just learning a lot more before. If you're someone who's overanalyzing, that's fine. I do this as well. But talk to other real estate investors if you can. Try to go to networking events. Learn as much as you can. But at a certain point, you can't learn uh, without actually doing it yourself and jumping into the business, right? So a lot of podcasts I listen to, like things come up, but that's really the truth of things. Like if you want to start investing in real estate, I, what I implement in my business now, I had absolutely no idea that I would be doing this now as to the Griffin when I was 22 years old, buying a duplex for 180 grand. I thought I was going to keep that for years. I thought it was going to be a great asset. I sold it like six months later, right? Like you need to just 
yeah, by setting yourself up for success, what I just mean is trying to understand a strategy, but understand that that strategy is also going to probably change quickly. And yeah, just that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, no, good, good advice. And I think that's absolutely true. As you're talking, I'm thinking, what did I do when I, I bought my first property at 26? And like, what did I do in my first property? What do I do now? It has there's really no similarity. And so it's, it's, you have to be willing to ride something for as long as it works and then change. Yeah. But, uh, so now fast forward for me a bit and tell me how, what happened between having a duplex and today. So like, how has your business model changed and how are you investing now? Yeah. So from the point that I purchased the duplex to now, tons has changed from equity in the business to market fundamentals and really like interest rates for example right so when i started investing at the beginning this was before interest rates even dropped down for that like glory period where if you were able you had the means to get into the real estate market obviously that that gave you a big uh, head start if you're starting right so purchased uh, what did I end up doing? So I purchased one duplex, then held that for a couple months, purchased another one to go live in. And since then, scaled up to, well, okay, essentially, my real estate agent, at a certain point, you're going to start purchasing properties and then cap out how much you're able to uh, get in debt financing. So this was something that was hard for me to wrap my head around because I thought when I was going to purchase these properties, I was going to hold on to them for years. And that is something that I could have done. However, this comes back to what I was saying five minutes ago about changing your strategy in the context of the market environment when COVID hit, right, uh, asset prices ended up increasing a lot. Well, a lot of equity was just built into those properties without me really doing anything. So I'm not going to hide from the fact that that definitely helped with my business. But after, you know, the first three properties, I ended up not being able to purchase any other properties because I had I had capped out that amount of debt. So for me, it was like, well, I already optimized each one of those properties as much as I can. If I want to take this one step further, it's either you go and partner with other people to have access to their debt financing, or you sell off some of those properties, make a nice gain and basically repeat the process over. And that's really that opportunity cost where I was like, I could keep these properties, but they're going to be yielding me maybe I don't know, 12 to 15% annually versus I can materialize all the gains that I've made and go and restart those projects. And that's when for me, I was like, well, I kind of want to go away from this long-term rental stuff to actually force appreciating the properties myself and having more control over the asset versus just holding on to them for decades potentially. And they would have been huge wins over time, but being able to actually create higher returns in a shorter period of time on multiple properties. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where now the strategy is just purchasing properties that maybe are uh, triplexes, adding a couple units, looking at all the zoning, being able to yeah, add some units to them, get them into commercial financing territory, being able to refinance them out of my personal name, and then restart that process over and over again, where I can get those personal assets out of my personal name and have uh, access to personal debt financing again, because personal debt financing usually comes with better rates and you're able to qualify easier than commercial properties. So we can probably dig into that a bit more if, if you're curious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, let's go there with, you know, I think you, you mentioned a term uh, like force appreciating properties, right? So yeah. maybe you can just tell me, like, what do you mean by that exactly? 
So force appreciating can come in a ton of different varieties. It can be literally just purchasing a deal that you know is completely under market value. Essentially, force appreciating is just making sure that you're purchasing a property where you know the market value is going to be worth more. So there is a gap between the market value and what you bought it for and or what you put into the property to renovate it. So the easiest form is if you can buy a property that is underutilized or undersold, right? Let's say you know it's worth like 300K in the market, but the seller is selling it for like 200K. Well, right there, you have a nice cushion of equity that you can have access to. In most markets, that's just not gonna happen, but that can happen mm -hmm. potentially. Usually what this comes down to is purchasing a property where the rents are way below what they could rent for in the market. Because unlike a single family home where the value is mainly based on comparables and uh, like it or not emotion, like a family comes into it and it's like, I could see myself raising a family here, so maybe I'll overbid another person. Rental properties, it literally just comes down to usually cap rates and operating income and what the property is gonna yield, right? So by increasing a property's income, you're directly increasing its market value, like literally directly increasing it. So usually I look at a combination of two things, increasing the market rents and also potentially if possible, adding full units where that can, that's gonna usually add like 10 to $20,000 in annual income to the building by maybe investing like a hundred grand into it, which sounds like a lot, but when you look at, let's say increasing the property's value by, uh, income by 15 grand a year, in my market in Montreal, it's way more aggressive than this, but in my market in Gatineau, Usually when I go to refinance properties, the bank re, um, refinances them at around give or take like 15 times annual revenues. So 15 times 15, but you looked at putting a hundred grand into it, well, you made a ton of equity there uh, before being able to refinance it. So that's what I mean by, by forced appreciation, essentially being able to appreciate the property yourself rather than natural appreciation where you're just holding on to it. Over time, usually properties go up by like three to 4% a year. Uh, unlike what we've been seeing in the past like couple of years. Yeah, that's what I mean by force appreciating. Yeah, great. It's definitely like way more active though. Yeah. Right? That, that's the thing. Like that's what I was talking about earlier. I see it as a business. It is way more active. It's not really an investment where you can just buy and forget about it. Hey, Axel, where are you going to be on November 16th? Actually, I'm going to be at my IRHA meeting. Why? What the heck is an IRHA meeting, Excel? Well, it's this group I've joined called, it's the Interest Rate Hike Anonymous. It's for real estate investors who feel like they've had massive withdrawal because of what's happening on the financial markets. You don't need a support group, Axel. You need to come to our next monthly networking event on November 16th. But I don't want to disappoint the boys at the support group. Axel, the boys at the support group should be the least of your worries. You need to come join me and JP. JP's going to be telling us about how he is dealing with the current situation and pivoting his business. Axel, you're the one who organized this event anyway. Why don't you tell people where they should come and check us out? So join us on November 16th at the Maria Courtyard in uh, Ville Saint-Laurent. We're going to have a great time. There'll be plenty of real estate investors. Look in the show notes for more details about the event. See you there. Right, Terry? Yeah. And um, so tell me about right now. 
Like we all know, I think all of us, I always joke with my colleagues that, uh, you know, in COVID, my dog could have made money in real estate. Basically, we couldn't at 2% interest, you can't make a mistake. And whatever you were sitting on has doubled in value. So that is what it is. Today, the things are kind of changing. The opportunities are in different places. What do you make of the current moment? What do you, what, what advice would you give people now? Yeah, so definitely way harder to find a good deal. Like you said, you could purchase a property, literally do nothing, and six months later it was worth, let's say, double. Not necessarily double, but in most markets I'd appreciate a lot. Um, so like I was saying earlier, I definitely benefited from that. Anyone who owns any property benefited from that period. A lot of people were able to refinance at low rates, pull out a ton of money, and buy more, right? Right now, market environment completely different. So I've seen firsthand though, uh, during the height of when there were a lot of people interested, because right now, like I go to visits all the time, there is maybe 10% of the interest and amount of people walking properties uh, than there were before. So it's one of those things where back then, maybe you were purchasing a property that was $600,000. Now it might be 500K. The monthly running costs are probably going to be the same though or higher because interest rates are a lot higher. So that is something that absolutely makes it way harder to find a deal that's going to make sense. And especially cash flowing properties. In most of these expensive markets, Toronto, Montreal, I'm not entirely sure, but like Vancouver, yeah, it's pretty much impossible to find cash flowing properties. Most investors buy stuff for appreciation yeah. long term. Yeah. I was lucky enough to just literally come from a secondary market outside of Ottawa where, yeah, I was, I was lucky for sure. If you're in a secondary market, usually it's easier to find cash flowing properties. Even now though, finding a cash flowing property off the MLS is way harder than before. So what I would say is number one, because people tell me this all the time when I make TikToks and stuff, they're like, that would never work in Toronto and Vancouver. You're right. It, it won't work. And the reality is that if you're a first time buyer, you don't have the luxury of putting five or 10% down if you're in Vancouver or Toronto because most properties are over a million bucks. So you're looking at putting over 20% down. The way I see it is you simply don't have a choice to do one of two things or a combination of both. A, you need to partner up with someone else because saving up $200,000 for your down payment is unrealistic for most people. Partner up with one or two other investors uh, and also go and invest outside of those expensive markets. Like Nothing says you need to invest in Toronto, right? Go to a, an outside market, a secondary market where you can find places that are four or $500,000 and it'll just be more realistic for you uh, to, to find something that'll work. And also another thing is don't try to buy a property that has all of those together. Like you need to identify, am I looking for something that is going to be cash flowing and that's more of a turnkey? Am I looking at something where I can add value? Usually they're not really going to go hand in hand, especially right off the MLS. So identify a strategy and then stick to it. There's so much noise online. Even myself, when I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see different you know, investors doing a ton of different things, it's easy to be like, oh, maybe I'll go do short-term rentals. Maybe I'll go do uh, you know one thing or the other. Kind of just stick with your lane and uh, like identify something that works for you and do at least a couple deals before venturing out to other things. That's mm -hmm. what I would that's what I would say for anyone starting. But you just can't invest in Toronto or Vancouver or an expensive market. It's just not really gonna work. Mm -hmm.
Well, so tell me, I mean, you're, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in Montreal, Montreal also over the last two years has, it's become difficult to do things that make sense unless you're willing to take on very serious management or construction yeah. problems. Um, and so like, we're in a position here, a lot of people who were active in Montreal are now looking at sort of like the, the, the halo of markets around us that make sense. What's it like being from a secondary market like that? I imagine you're seeing a lot of people from outside coming in. Yeah, hundred percent. So definitely like with any market right now, less than before, because people just simply aren't interested. It's kind of funny, like, yes, interest rates have gone up. So, you know, it becomes more expensive on a month month basis to finance these properties. But at the same time, you can buy properties right now for like 15% less or 20 in some markets than what people were buying them for two years ago. So I do find that dynamic interesting where I'm still buying properties, right? I'm still buying properties, but most people are looking the other way and they're like, why would you be buying properties right now? Well, to me, if it works, it works. If it's a deal, it, it works. And back to the strategy that you're identifying. I identified one strategy that I kind of talked about earlier. We can maybe talk about it more later. That's the strategy that I am focusing on right now. And based on the numbers that I can project out, if I know that there's a good like 10 to 15% buffer, then I'm going to go on that property. But the reality is that, yeah, I look at hundreds of properties a week and most aren't going to work. Like you need to be willing to uh, really put in the work to identify again your strategy and then look for properties that are going to fit within it. What was your initial question though? <laughs> um, was I was just, I was asking uh, like what life is like in Gatineau, right? Because I think okay. like off camera, we had a little bit of a conversation ahead of time, you know, what's it like that there's this funny thing where, you know, us in a uh, Quebec, it's kind of like we live in the Bermuda Triangle, right? Like nobody from outside wants to come in here because of the rental board, because of French, because of all these other things. And so it's like kind of an interesting place to be sitting just like right on the border of Ontario where there's auto, which is my understanding is quite expensive. And then just on the other side, you have Gatineau, but it's in the Bermuda Triangle. So <laughs> yeah, the Bermuda Triangle of Quebec. Yeah, that's what we, we were talking about off screen there. Like a lot of investors are afraid of Quebec because of language laws, different things that might be less understood. What are the laws around tenants versus landlords, things of that nature. But I absolutely have seen a lot of people come in from Toronto, main, mainly Toronto and Ottawa over to the Quebec side because investors are looking for returns. And when you're in a, a market that yields low returns and you have to put high amounts of equity out of your own pocket. Like what I mean by that is, let's say someone in, in Toronto needs to put hundreds of thousands of dollars into a deal to then get maybe 15% return year over year. They could come and put that same amount of money in Gano, a secondary market, and probably, I mean, this is a blanket statement, but make a, a much higher return potentially. So absolutely, I've seen a lot of people come over to Gatno and but in a secondary market, I mean, every market's going to be completely different. Gatineau has a huge amount of vacancy like issues. There's, there's literally, really? there's, well, from a standpoint, not like Calgary, where there were a lot of properties, there's no properties here. So regardless, anyone who's building anything, you can rent at top dollar, basically. So it's, there's a huge problem here. There's going to be a huge problem for years to come because Ottawa Gatineau is literally, like I said earlier, the capital of Canada where there's a ton of government workers. So average average or median salaries in, in the national capital region is higher than anywhere else in Quebec, in Canada pretty much on a per capita basis. So yeah, in a secondary market though, uh, I think that's where most first-time home buyers or just buyers in general should focus though, a secondary market for sure. I think it's that good median between population and job growth, but then not like a tertiary market where there's literally no growth. So sure, you might be able to cash flow a really nice amount, 
but when you go to sell it 10, 15 years down the line, it appreciated by 10 grand, you know? So yeah, secondary markets, I think is where it's at for, yeah. for most investors who are smaller time investors. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. No, I definitely agree with you. And you know, it's, that's actually interesting because I, some, you know, I do a bit of coaching and like my coaching clients, when they call me, like sometimes if it's people who are from Toronto, especially, and they're, you know, Terry, how am I ever going to be able to buy something? How am I ever going to make something make sense? And it's like, well, you don't necessarily need to think about the place that you live as being the place that you invest or necessarily you don't have to own the place that you live. Like you could be a career tenant in your expensive center. And if you have down payment money and, and borrowing capacity to apply, but do put it in a secondary market where you're going to be able to get on the real estate kind of ride, let's say without uh, the same barriers to entry that there are in like bigger, more expensive markets. Yeah, I completely agree. And most rental properties in these bigger areas are going for over a million dollars. For, yeah. for like a triplex and that's just simply unrealistic for most people who are, are working working people you know like putting 20 percent down on a million dollar duplex in ottawa that's a lot of money you know when uh, and it could take years to to save up to and by the time this is what i talk about as well to people who ask me is that's 200 grand now as well so even if yeah. you you make yourself a plan to save up 200 grand in five years who knows where the market will be in five years but chances are five to 10 years from now, it'll be higher. So that 200 grand all of a sudden isn't enough to even buy the property once again. So uh, it's tough to buy to buy properties in, in primary markets. And as a first time buyer as well, think of this as well. You're purchasing, maybe you are able to buy one property, but you're putting 100% of all the money you've been able yeah. to save into one deal. So now you're not able to do anything else for yeah. potentially years. And that's huge. So yeah, you need to, to really like think about your longer term strategy. And if you're okay with having one property, that's fine. But if you want to scale quicker, buying primary markets is going to be really tough. Yeah, I think that's a very good advice. And it's easy to say though, because a lot of people also tell me, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say you, you come from a secondary market, but that is true. And if you are in a primary market and you're, let's say a renter in downtown Toronto, what's the alternative though? It's like, well, you, yeah. it's either you do it or you don't, and you just complain and never buy anything. Like, period. <laughs> yeah, and it's harsh, and it sounds really harsh, but it but it's the reality of things. Like, get creative, go partner with someone else, find someone who lives in a secondary market. They can be maybe boots on the ground. Be creative, right? This is business. Like, you need to be able to to think outside of the box and go go find something that's going to work for you. No, I think a very very good point. So we uh, usually we try to stick around 30 minutes. So we're coming to the end of, of our time. But okay. let me ask you this question. What should we be talking about that we're not talking about? Us who are in this investment slash real estate space in Canada, what, what, are, what should we be hearing more about that we're not hearing about? In the context of investments? Or in the yeah, in, in the real estate context. Uh, things that we should be talking about more. 
that we're not talking about that are that are not on most people's horizons that are maybe on your horizon? Well, yeah, again, like look at I would say, well, okay, I really can't under under stress or overstress the importance of really working with a real estate agent that, and this probably won't answer the question, so I'll come back to it, but just just adding here, a real estate agent that's also uh, an investor. And the reason for this is I see a lot of people going and working with real estate agents that literally just put flyers on on people's doors just because someone's selling 2,000 homes a year doesn't necessarily make them capable of actually identifying rental property deals that are going to be suitable for your needs, right? And that's going to be something that would just be really difficult because if you're not able to put, if the real estate agent hasn't actually done it, it's impossible to give advice, literally, especially in give, given markets. So that's something I think is really important that people should do, especially if you're at the beginning, but I totally didn't answer your question. So honestly, Terry, I'm not sure. <laughs> people should be <laughs> Not like that the Martians are coming, the war in Ukraine, cryptocurrencies well, like i don't know you know okay right now everyone's talking about recessions every a recession everyone's fearing the markets no one wants to buy absolutely you know interest rates have made the cost of borrowing way more expensive you know coming up i think people who have gotten uh, especially on their, their primary residence like variable rate mortgages it's hard to say what the future is going to hold but i just really stand by the fact that if you have identified a strategy for yourself, buying a good deal that works regardless of the market context right now means it's only going to be a better deal once the markets do shift once again. Back to like my strategy of adding units, putting them like refinancing them out of my name, putting them in companies and stuff. The plan there is that corporate rates are even higher. They're, they're in the, the 6% depending, right? So if the deal for me works refinancing out at 6%, and I'm able to still take out some money and you know scale the business again, buying other properties. Once inevitably interest rates come back down, hopefully even lower, right? Let's say in the next couple of years, which I do think will happen. The the play there is then to to refinance those properties and take out a ton of equity and then roll that into more deals, right? So again, when people are afraid right now, not wanting to buy anything, identify a property that makes sense, buy real estate, wait. Take advantage of everything. If it if if it's gonna be cash flowing and actually makes sense where you're not burning a hole in your pocket each month, then I don't think you can really go wrong if if you've analyzed the deal correctly. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think, again, I think that's great advice. Yeah. It's very hard to give advice though with real estate because every market's completely different and every property is its own mini business. So, you know, giving blanket statements in real estate is very tough. But uh yeah, just understand how to analyze a deal in your own market and go from there. Yeah. Yeah, you're actually uh, no, no, no. I, th- I think I think it's a really good point, and you know, you're uh, I think the second or the third person that I've had on since uh, yeah. since things have headed south that comes up with exactly that comment, right? That you know, the deal is the deal, and there were certain deals that made sense at two percent interest. There are certain deals that make sense at five or six percent interest with potentially you know vendor financing or like who knows what else because we're in a capital crunch because refinancing is more difficult. So you know, making a deal work in today's context is going to just translate into something more interesting when the cycle shifts, because that's what cycles do, like cycles shift. And we're in one particular place right now, but eventually things are going to go into a different sort of iteration. It absolutely will. Like literally it will. It's hard to to see that right now. You know, people, humans are very, uh, 
are very risk averse and yeah. also very euphoric when markets are up, right? I see this. I also do a lot of stock market investing. People were super excited to invest when the S&P was at the top, when in reality, that's when the highest risk is versus right now, no one wants to invest in anything. But in reality, this is where there's the most opportunities. So that's paradoxical. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Griffin, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to chat with me and share your uh, pearls with our audience today. What's the best place for people to connect with you if they want to learn more? Instagram, YouTube are the main platforms. It's just my name, Griffin Milks. And also I'm trying to post on TikTok. I'm not, it's tough though, but I Griffin Milks <laughs> as well. But Aren't you a bit out of the uh, age bracket on TikTok? <laughs> you know, you would think I've been trying to, uh, giving myself reasons not to do it for years. And now I'm just like, I, I need to do it, you know? So, uh, so yeah, TikTok's where it's at, but, uh, Griffin milks on all those platforms, real estate content though, YouTube definitely have like dozens of videos in a real estate investing playlist where I go over all my deals and stuff. We didn't really have time to like dive into to certain deals. And a lot of what I was talking about is also hard to like understand when there's not visual prompts with numbers and stuff. But if anyone's interested in actually going over deals, I like to just be as transparent as possible. So most of all the deals I've done, I've done full on videos going over all the numbers, which most people don't do because it's it's personal. But yeah, yeah, I like to, to teach people and hopefully this will motivate people to get into the market. Thank you, Griffin. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating. Leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.